Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. So uh, my name's Neil. I'm, I'm one of the guys on the team here. So we're talking, uh, we're talking about Advent. We are starting this series, and it's really more of a, as a season. Uh, in, in just, just December, we, we get past you know, Thanksgiving, and everybody, everybody's decorated, right? You got Christmas trees up and all that kind of stuff. So Advent season is a little bit different. No, I got to know. Okay, all right. There's still time. You still got time. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at our sources. We're going to ask ourselves, okay, what are the sources in our life for, for areas like hope and peace and joy and light. That's what we're going to do over these next four weeks. This one's going to get interesting today because we're going to talk about hope. Like at the end of the day, after it's all said and done, if you get one thing out of this message, God is our source of hope. There's a reason why we're starting this one with hope and we're going to peace next because peace always follows hope. When you have hope, peace settles in. You can hear me say that over and over and over again. This is not this is not a message about how we're spending too much, you know, money on the holidays or whatever. And perhaps perhaps you are, but that's not what this message is about. This isn't about how you need to get your priorities straight and all that kind of stuff during the holidays. Maybe you do. That's not what this is about. This message is solely about how we have to get our hope straight because everything else rises and falls on that. Where is our hope? Now, King David, we're going to go back old school, and then we're going to look at the life of Jesus for a second. But we're going to go back old school to King David. Uh, he knew where his source of hope was, where he got it from. There's a famous scripture. You guys know it. It's Psalm 23. A lot of you guys could probably quote this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He knew that in the middle of everything in his life, he literally said, I, period, lack, period, nothing. That's pretty bold. Like, I mean, this guy fought wars. He fought battles with a sword. Like, I don't know what, I mean, I know, I know you go through the express checkout line, and that seems difficult at times. This dude was in wars. And he said, listen, I'm, I'm, at, I'm lacking for nothing. God, you, Yahweh, you are my source. He knew that really well. Now, what happens if God isn't our source? Where do we land with that? Because I don't want to assume that, that all of us, our lives are all over the place, but there are times, and I'm just, I'm just going to speak for myself, there are times where I don't go to God for my, he's not my source. I go to other things. It could be Netflix. It could be a lot of other things. It could be, you know, there are times where we don't go to him and we try and do things on our own. That's what we end up ultimately doing. And I wonder what those things are for you. I want you to think about that while we go through these sections of Scripture. I'm going to finish reading that out of Psalm 23. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
This is a scripture that some of you have actually quoted right before going to a family Christmas event together, like, Lord, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, or like your company Christmas party at work, you're like, oh gosh, these people, somebody's going to get drunk and do something. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David had no perceived lack, none. Whether he was in a green pasture, or whether he was beside still waters, or whether he was in the shadow of he knew who his source was. Now, what, where we get off track is we think that the pasture is our source, or we think that the water is our source, and that's not it. We've got to go to Jesus every single time. So for some of us, what the holidays do is they just highlight this perceived void in our hearts of how things are actually supposed to be. Because you get around, I mean, spend 30 seconds watching a Hallmark Christmas movie. Dear God, I accidentally found it on YouTube TV at our house. We didn't think we had Hallmark for a while, and then it showed up in a search, and my girls found it, and it's just been on nonstop. Between that and Gilmore Girls, I can't take it anymore. But ask yourself, (laughs) ask yourself for just a minute, what are the things in my life that I am lacking? Because all the holidays do is they just bring a light to it. You're like, wait a minute, am I lacking something? I don't have what that person has. I don't know what this is person has. It seems like I should have that. But what are the things in your life that are lacking? I'm, I'm serious. Take a second and think. Could be your finances. Maybe it's something in your home. Maybe it's your health could be work. Whatever that is, I want you to think about that for just a little bit. It could be relationships. It could be friendships. Things got kind of crazy over the last 18, 19 months. And you're like, I don't know where all my friends went. I don't know where I am. There could be a lack in your life, but I want you to think about that because every void that we see and the ones that we don't see have been filled and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It's why he's the Messiah It's why we're taking an entire month to make sure that our hearts are right as we prepare for the coming king. That's Jesus. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at some scriptures. Uh, We're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. But I want you to understand something. You have to understand like the felt need of it. When we put things in our life that that are are trust on things that we're, we're hoping in, when those things let us down, we've got to find another way. That might be where you're at right now. Like you might have been carrying a weight for a little while, and until we feel that weight, we don't really look for the, the genuine help that we need. Sometimes we gotta we gotta feel the weight a little bit. We went on a, we, we go on mission trips um, almost every year. The last two years we haven't, which has been crazy. But we we go every year down to the Amazon rainforest, and we're we're taking a bunch of guys and co-ed trips and and couples, and it's incredible because we work with a, a local family there, the Aramborgo family. And when we're there, you're right off the Amazon. You're going out into the jungle. And there's, I mean, there's no Wi-Fi. There's no cell service. There's nothing. And you get out there. What we're doing is we're on this boat. To give you perspective, the Amazon, the, the actual river in most places is about twice as wide as the Arkansas River. And it is way faster. This thing is massive. It's like a lake that is just moving. And we get on this little boat that is... It just, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get on this boat in the United States. I promise you that. But for some reason, you get on a mission trip, you're like, this seems legit. We'll get on this thing. I don't know why, but we pack a bunch of people in there, and we get these bags because we're building schools and churches. Uh, we're doing medical mission trips. We're, we're in the jungle. We're preaching the gospel. And so we pack food supplies to take down on these, these boats down the river, and then we have to hike it in the jungle. These are 75 to 100-pound bags of rice, sugar, oil and beans. 
So they just throw it on your shoulder. And what you do is when you get to the edge of the, the, the Amazon, it's just a mudslide all the way up. And it's steep. It is super steep. It's not like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just jump out here and hop over and I leave my boat there. It's not going to be there. No, you, this, this is like a cliff of pure mud. So we get to this spot. They're looking for a place to put in. And, and you know, you're trying to make sure the boat doesn't leave you and whatever. And, and the boat gets up to the side. And we have guys, we have 75 and 100 pound bags of rice on our back. And these locals knew we we're coming, so they started building stairs for us. These, the OSHA, this is an OSHA violation. This is awful. These stairs are not up to code. They do not, they're not holding up. And they're barely holding these Peruvians who are about, I mean, I don't know of any Peruvians that were over five foot tall. And all of us gringos are showing up. And we've got extra weight on our backs. And we're getting on these stairs. And you get off this boat. And these, these boards are bowing underneath you. And you're going up this cliff. And I'm going, this is not. Well, they started snapping. And our feet go straight through them. Your legs are now into mud. People are sliding down the side of this. And I'm like, bro, boys, we're getting back on that boat. We're going to find another way up here. And you go and you look for something else. If that's the only thing that, like, we put our hope in some things that really legitimately, they had no shot, but for some reason we thought, yeah, this seems legit. If we do not feel the weight of what is going on, we're not going to go look for something else. And I want you to start at the beginning of this Advent season. I want you to realize we are dysfunctional as human beings. We are flawed. We are broken. Where we put our hope and trust is everything. So we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. Typically, when you, when you start talking like that, people like check out because you just start reading through a list of names and who begat so-and-so and on and on and on. This is mind-boggling. We're not just going to look at Jesus' human genealogy, his family tree. We're going to look at his divine genealogy and then what that means for us. Okay, you ready for some scripture? Here we go. This is going to be fun. So... Uh, Matthew chapter 1, and this is, we're going to jump through here because there's a lot of extras here. I want to key in on some. Uh, this is not going to be like a master class on, on genealogy, but uh, this is important. We'll start off in verse 1, and we're going to jump through here. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Which is super interesting, because she has a name, right? How would you like to be listed in the genealogy of Jesus? And just, you're, you're not even listed. You are someone who had been somebody's wife. This is crazy. I'm going to go through here and show you. Now, this is the... we got to get this. Jesus is fully man and fully God. People ask us as pastors, like, can you explain that to me? And I there are times I can, and there are times I can't. This is, this is a miracle is what this is. He's 100% God and 100% man. I'm going to show you the 100% man's family tree. That's what this is. You ready for this? So Tamar. Tamar uh, pretended to be a prostitute in order to bear Judah some sons. Judah's like, I, I need some sons. And so she pretends had twins, actually, and Perez was a forefather of David. I'm giving you a little bit of history on these. I'm, I'm trying to, this is like the salty, seedy side of it. That's where I'm going here with this. So you know where we're headed with this. This is, this is like, these are real people. 
Rahab, do you guys remember who Rahab is? You've heard of this one, Old Testament. This is amazing. She's the one who hid the spies for Israel as they scouted out the promised land. You remember that? So these, guys, these scouts are coming in there, and she, she hides them. She operated a brothel, and she herself is a prostitute. In the genealogy of Jesus, keep that in mind. Ruth, she's a Moabite woman, which is considered unclean. You don't even, you, you, they would not cross over. They wouldn't, they would, it was no interracial anything, and this is what happened. So they, she actually married an Israelite who's Boaz. You're like, whoa, this is legit. Uriah's wife. Anybody know what her name is? It's Bathsheba. Who's Bathsheba? So Uriah is one of King David's mighty men. King David sees his wife. He's supposed to be in battle. He's not. He's back at home chilling. And he sees Bathsheba, and he lusts after her, gets her pregnant, has Uriah killed. This is one of his mighty men. You're talking about like the closest of close. Like He's one of his boys. Sends him out, has him killed. Well, then who was, who was Bathsheba's son? Solomon. Think about the genealogy of Jesus here. Solomon, this is, all, this is like the human ancestry. Ancestry.com, this thing. This is what this actually is, okay? So Jesus coexisted in dysfunction and divinity. Both. Don't mistake that. He was in both of them. This is some of the best news that I could give you about the good news. A lot of times you're like, wow, the good news is incredible. Jesus, you're amazing, whatever, but I can't, I can't be, I'm not in that. Like, I've done too many things. I'm like, okay, how do you stack up with the rest of these knuckleheads? Like, this is incredible to see the dysfunction of it. This is 100% the chosen line. Like, Jesus chose to come in and be a part of humanity. He picked these people to be a part of this. And remember, God came to us. Nothing we do, no amount of striving or effort or work or good works or any of it, will be able to stack us up high enough to be able to reach up to the heavens and attain to God's glory and his goodness and his divinity. No, he chose to come to us. So God's means of healing brokenness, coming down to humanity and dealing with all of our stuff, is by coming into contact with it. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't act like it's not here. He's not you know, passive-aggressive with it. He doesn't erase it. What does he do? He engages with it. He gets in the middle of it. He dwells in it, and ultimately, he redeemed it. This is who Jesus is, and he chose to do it. So what does this mean? The good news is Jesus felt our dysfunction. That's what that main point is there. Jesus chose to enter into our dysfunction. Now, our faith doesn't necessarily depend on what we can do, but what we are willing to receive it's not stacked up on your goodness. I know there's some good people, and you're like, oh, they're a good person. Okay, that's great, but that, does, that is not. Our faith depends on our willingness to receive. So now let's look at the divine genealogy of Jesus. You ready for this? This is the divine. That was the, that was the human messed up. That's, I've got an Uncle Harold in my, in my gene pool or whatever, and that's that. This is Jesus, the eternal God. Jesus is eternal God. We're studying in, uh, in heart and soul. A bunch of you guys will know this. On Tuesdays, we're, we're talking about it. For someone to say, for a Jewish person to say, the Lord Jesus is basically saying Jesus is the Messiah. Because Lord means, like, you, there is none higher. You're God, Jesus. Those two are connected. Jesus is the eternal God. So let's look at John chapter 1. You guys have heard this scripture, but I want to look at it. It's very different from the human genealogy. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Okay, what does that mean? It means Jesus existed before any of us got here. What we're trying to figure out in this is like, okay, when was the beginning? It's before you think the beginning was. Okay, how far back does the beginning go? Further than the beginning. It's very difficult for our brains to comprehend this. How far back? This is before the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the galaxy and the universe, before all of it, Jesus existed. And the story of the gospel is not that we worked our way up to him, but that he came down to us and he chose to do it. So this is what's wild about that is, if his divinity is pure royalty, it's divine, it's flawless, Jesus chose to come meet us as a baby. Forget the sin nature of mankind. Forget the flawed nature of whatever. Forget talking about uh, of all these other things. Think about what could be more uh, helpless more completely exposed, more at the mercy of mankind than a baby. I mean, there are babies. I mean, there's some there. You guys are rocking baby. I mean, honestly, think about that. If you, okay, Joe, if you're not holding your, like, what, what is she going to do? Her next to me, I'll, think about that. God put himself in the hands of human beings. And for, for all that we know, God has always taken care of us. And he flipped the script on this thing. And he said, hey, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, and I want you to take care of him. That is like, okay, what he did in this is he is divinity that took on dysfunction. Get ready for this. So then our dysfunction, we could receive his divine life and nature. He flipped this thing on us. That's like, a, that's a paradox is what that is called. That is, that is di- in, in his divinity, he took on our dysfunction so that in our dysfunction, he could give us his royal nature. That is as simple as it gets, but we can't, we can't wrap our heads around it because it's so stinking simple. Like, I mean, there's got to be another, there's got to be something. Like, is that really the, yes, that's legitimately it, and this is the best news ever. You ready for it? This is the punchline. This is the best news that I could give you. We are adopted into his family. Jesus adopts us in. It's not just that he came here to go to the cross. Like our faith isn't just in the cross. Our faith is in an empty tomb. His death, burial, and resurrection. Without the resurrection, this thing is pointless. No, no, he, he conquered death, the grave, and all of it came as a baby, all for one purpose only, to redeem us and adopt us in. This is not in my notes, but I'm going to go way off here, okay? When, when and we're talking about this, we're studying Romans. If you want more of this, we, we could talk more. In Romans, we're talking about what adoption looked like in first century you know, Christianity or first century Judaism or first century culture. What adoption actually looked like is if you had a backstory or a history, you had a, let's say you had a rap sheet. You have, I have these crimes that I've committed. I have these penalties that I need to be paid or I need to pay. I owe people money. They're going to kill me if I don't do this. If someone were to adopt you into their family, the moment they adopt you, you take on their name. And it's not just their name. You take on the fact that you, you actually cannot be legally held accountable for what you used to, to do. Your old history, your old way of life, your, your old family will say, well, he's not ours anymore. It's that strong. 
Every penalty you owed is done. It is gone. You are now a brand new family member of a new family. The reason why that's so important is we don't think of adoption nowadays. We think of adoption as less than. Let's just be honest. I hate that. I can't stand the way our culture, we think of it as like, oh, hey, here's my family and then here's so-and-so. That's not the way that first century looked at it. It was like, oh, they are your blood. They are in your family. You see them as no differently. We have a tendency to think, okay, well, Jesus adopted us into the family. Okay, well, that's great. But this is like, I'm like a stepchild. I'm like an offshoot of whatever. I'm at the small table at Thanksgiving. Everybody else eating the big piece of chicken. I get the little one. We think of it like that. And that's not the way that this works. I'm going to read a scripture to you that shows exactly what it means to adopt. He adopted us into his bloodline. Remember, we're going to take communion. He held up the cup and he says, this is the new covenant, which means a covenant means it's an agreement that I have with you that I will never break. He won't turn his back on us. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He adopts us into his bloodline. That's called a tangent. That was not in the notes. John 1, 12 through 13. It says, yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Remember, it's a right. That's where the free gift part comes in. Because you could believe it all day long, but until you confess out of your mouth, until you say, Jesus, you are Lord, we could could, uh, like the idea of Jesus. That's not what. Listen, salvation is not wrapped up in the idea of Jesus. Salvation is wrapped up in, I'm going to bow my knee and surrender my life and say, Jesus, You did for me what I couldn't do, and I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. That's what this says. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Remember what we just talked about with adoption. God literally looks at us. It's not as if he can't love us anymore, but we're in his bloodline. Jesus literally adopts us into his bloodline. So what that actually looks like, practically speaking... When you look at the lineage and the history and the family tree, the genealogy of Jesus, when you get close to it, your name is in it. You can see your name in it. And everything that is at his disposal, the goodness, the glory, the peace, the grace, the mercy, it is all yours and you can't outspend it. You have your inheritance, which is a relationship with the king, and I have heaven as a home. Now I get to live my life completely different because I know my identity in Christ. What you do when you get that close and you see it, you realize, wait a minute, I can't spend my inheritance because there is no limit. I can't waste it away because it's not wrapped up in me, it's wrapped up in the king. The source is never-ending. That is the goodness and the glory of God, and we are in the root structure of the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus. The reason why that is important, and we have to start off with the dysfunction and then go to this, is because if we don't admit that we are dysfunctional, we are flawed, and we need a Savior, we're never going to do the thing that he's saying. It's a choice. And the reason why we're talking about this at the beginning of December is because the goodness of God, we could miss it in the one time of year where pretty much everything in our culture is pointed toward, they just don't realize it. It's all pointed toward Jesus. We need to take a minute and go, wait a minute, God. If not for you, I don't know where I'd be. And then we need to say it out of our mouth. 
The Bible says if we believe and we confess, to confess means to say the same thing as. To confess the name of Jesus means that if you were to sit in a courtroom and God the Father is in the courtroom and he says, listen, Jesus is the only way to me. And that's my son right there, my daughter on the stand. And Jesus paid the price for them. And I sent my son Jesus as a, as a baby. And he experienced everything that a human being could experience. Torment, ridicule, pain, sadness and sorrow. He experienced all of it. He knew what it was like to actually live a life where he, he was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty. He did all of that, and he went to the cross, he was crucified, raised from the dead. And now that, that young man, that young lady, has my name. To confess with your mouth means that on that stand, the judge looks at you, and you say, yes, I say the same thing that he said. That's what it means to confess. And that's why... We have to start off with realizing that our hope can only be found in God. Everything else lines up with that. Let's start with hope, okay?